To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Does the Bible really mean what it plainly says? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Does the Bible really mean what it plainly says? Or is there more that's hidden under the surface? Are there deeper explanations behind the plain words of Scripture, or does it simply say exactly what it means? In previous episodes, we talked about how the only way to get the biblically correct answer to every single Bible question is to answer it with, what do the Scriptures say? And then to read those Scriptures in context, taking into account the surrounding words and thoughts and the broader setting of what's being said. But sometimes we don't particularly like what the scriptures say, or for some reason we think there must be more to it, that it can't be that simple and straightforward. And instead of just asking the question, what do the scriptures say, we start asking ourselves, is that really what that scripture says, or is that all that that scripture says? And our search for the truth becomes an exercise in misinformation. Today, I want to talk about the plain sense of Scripture and explore what it does to the Word of God when we look for meaning beyond what the Scriptures plainly say. Now, when I say that the Scriptures have a plain sense, I'm talking about a distinction between plain sense and literal sense. When I say plain sense, what I mean is that, assuming we're using a good Bible translation and that we're reading the passage in context, that we can take the Scriptures at face value that the text can be plainly understood as written. Literal, on the other hand, would be as opposed to figurative, that the words have a strict meaning that can only be understood according to the exact definition of the words. The text isn't implying something other than what it literally says. So, for example, when we read in John eleven thirty five that Jesus wept, the plain sense of the verse is exactly that. Yeshua wept he cried. And the literal sense here is the same. Yeshua's tears welled up in his eyes and they ran down his face. That's what it means to weep. Both the plain sense and the literal sense of this verse are that Yeshua wept. But when we read in John chapter 10 verse 9, where Yeshua says, I am the door. If anyone comes in through me, he will be saved. The plain sense of the verse is that belief in Yeshua is our entrance to salvation. We get to salvation by going through him. The meaning is obvious. It's plain. But if we took this literally, it would mean that Yeshua is an actual door, that he has hinges and a latch and is probably made out of wood. So in this verse, clearly, the plain sense and the literal sense are different. We can plainly understand what's being said, even if we don't take it literally. There are actually a lot of different literary types in Scripture. Metaphor, I am the door, is just one of them, and we'll cover those in a later teaching. But the point is, even things like metaphors and allegories can have a plain sense. We can plainly understand what's being said, even if we don't fully understand what it means. Also, when I say the plain sense of Scripture, I'm not saying that every meaning is necessarily obvious. 
As Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 2.13, there are things of God taught to us not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. We read the scriptures, and because it's a spiritual book, we understand not just the words on the page with our minds, but we comprehend the breadth of its message by the Spirit. And the scriptures also use things like symbolism and imagery, which are often not obvious at all. But when we read, for example, about the two witnesses in Revelation 11.4, who are both olive trees and lampstands, we may not immediately know what that means, but we still understand the plain sense of the verse. There are two witnesses, and they're both olive trees and lampstands. So when I talk about the plain sense of Scripture, I don't mean that everything can be taken literally or that every meaning is obvious, but that everything in Scripture should be taken plainly as written, at least at first. And this brings us to one of the most important principles you need to know and apply if you're going to correctly understand the Bible, which is, when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. I first learned this principle decades ago from reading David Stern's Jewish New Testament commentary. But in preparation for this teaching, I came to find out that it's actually attributable to a Dr. David L. Cooper, who founded the Biblical Research Society in the early 20th century. He called it the golden rule of Bible interpretation, and the whole thing goes like this. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and self-evident fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. So by plain sense, Cooper means the primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning of the words, and that if those words make sense, not necessarily if they make sense to you, but if they make common sense, if they form comprehensible sentences and thoughts, then we're to seek no other sense. We're to continue to seek understanding, just not look for that understanding beyond the plain sense. He says that unless the facts, context, related passages, and other self-evident truths clearly indicate otherwise, we're to accept what the scriptures say as written, the plain sense, no more and no less. And what does he mean by another sense? He goes on to say, One is to take the scriptures as they are written and is not to attempt to read into the sacred writings his own ideas or the thoughts of men. So it seems like Cooper was primarily dealing with the error of people taking scriptures out of context, saying that things should be understood figuratively or metaphorically when they should, in fact, be taken literally. But I think this principle applies for all categories of scriptural literature. The reason to ascertain the plain sense of Scripture and then to stop at the plain sense, if it makes common sense, is to avoid the error of reading into the Scriptures our own ideas or the thoughts of men, and thereby asserting another sense. Again, this isn't to say that there are never hints of other legitimate meanings beside the plain sense, and it's not to suggest a replacement for critical Bible study or an excuse for a superficial reading of the Scriptures. On the contrary, the principle simply says to seek no other sense only when the plain sense doesn't make common sense. All it's saying is that we should stop with the plain sense when it does make sense, which it usually does. Again, 
This doesn't necessarily mean that it makes sense to us, but it's understandable as written, and we shouldn't try reading into the text something that plainly isn't there. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we try to read our own thoughts into the scriptures and impose our ideas on them. And for some, this comes from a well-intentioned motivation to find a deeper meaning in the text. It's not necessarily that there's a dissatisfaction with the plain meaning of scripture, but a belief that the plain sense is insufficient, that because God is infinite, there must be more to his word than first meets the eye. This would appear in the form of such things as symbolism of the tabernacle, Bible codes, or gematria, which is Judaism's version of numerology and is sometimes adopted by those in the Messianic and Hebraic communities. But the scriptures never invite us or instruct us how to study these types of things. So they require us to be inventive and therefore to go beyond the plain sense of the text. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, here are a couple of samples from the top results that turned up from a quick internet search on the deeper meaning of the Bible. The first one is from an article by a fellow named Julian Duckworth called The Bible's Deeper Meaning. And he writes, Every single thing in the Bible has its own rich symbolic meaning, which helps us to understand our spiritual life. Mountains stand for higher levels of awareness. Wells of water describe our capacity to draw up or draw on true ideas from deep in our mind, to have access to truth that refreshes and cleanses us as water does. Coins stand for insights in our mind that can earn interest because they have real worth. And he goes on like this. You might have heard other teachings like this, maybe not as absolute, but this idea of intentionally looking for symbolism in the Bible that has a spiritual application. So in Mr. Duckworth's understanding of scripture, a mountain is never simply a mountain, and wells are never simply wells. Every single thing, he says, has rich symbolic meaning. Now, how did he arrive at this conclusion? Because the Bible says somewhere that everything in it can be understood symbolically? No. Because there's a verse that says mountains symbolize higher levels of awareness? No. If I had to guess, he probably genuinely believes that he received this concept as a revelation from God. And who are you and I to suggest otherwise? This is one of the major problems with going beyond the plain sense of the text. If you can envision a way of understanding the Bible that isn't supported in any way by the Bible itself, but you believe that God has revealed it to you, then there's not much that I can say to convince you otherwise. But if we stick to the plain sense principle, then when our minds start getting creative and going beyond what the scriptures say, we know we're starting to read our own thoughts into the scriptures. So seeing things in the Bible as symbolic that weren't intended to be symbolic is one way that we bypass the plain sense of scripture. Another example I found of looking for a deeper hidden meaning was from someone apparently a little more well-known. It's an article on the God TV website based on a teaching by Joseph Prince, who heads up a 30,000-member megachurch in Singapore. The article is called, The Hebrew Language Contains Keys to Your Healing. You may have even heard variations of this concept elsewhere. Here's an excerpt of the article. Ancient languages, like Hebrew and Chinese, were designed to be read right to left. Not only that, 
but each word part is a pictograph that carries a deeper meaning than the 26 letters in our Latin-inspired alphabet. In the case of the Hebrew word for healing, rafa, the pictographs from left to right are a head, a mouth, and a sacrifice. According to Prince, the head thinks and the mouth speaks of the sacrifice. In short, people who are mentally or physically sick should meditate on and proclaim Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. So the idea here is that the Hebrew alphabet borrowed letters from a previously existing alphabet, which was made up of pictographs, the letters depicting various things like an ox head or a tent peg, or in this case, a head, a mouth, or supposedly a sacrifice. And the notion that we can find deeper meaning in the Hebrew is based on the premise that those pre-Hebrew depictions are infused with an inherent meaning of their own. And when we replace the Hebrew letters with the corresponding letters from the pictographic alphabet, we can then read those pictographs back as a phrase or sentence and bring that meaning forward into the Hebrew word, giving that word a deeper meaning than what it ordinarily means. Now, this is completely different than using a Hebrew or Greek lexicon to understand the usage of words in their original languages. That's something that we can absolutely do, and it does bolster our understanding of the plain sense of the text, because after all, we are still reading a translation. But this practice of using pictographs as Bible interpretation is basically the epitome of blowing past the plain sense of the text and seeking another sense. Assuming for a moment that this could ever be a valid linguistic practice, which it is not, and that it somehow makes sense that the letters of words in any way impact the word's overall meaning, which they don't, we're supposed to be able to glean God's intended meaning hidden within the words themselves to form a new idea that reveals a spiritual truth. Joseph Prince says that Rafa means the head thinks and the mouth speaks of the sacrifice. Well, based on a nifty chart that I found on the internet, I think it means that the first word you speak must be strong. And I interpret that to mean that if you're sick, your first prayer to God must be to strongly demand your healing. So are you going to tell me that my pictographic understanding of the letters of the word Rafa and my interpretation of that understanding is wrong and that Joseph Prince's is right? Based on what? Joseph Prince came up with one thing. I came up with something different. How do we know which one, if either, is correct? We are so far past any kind of plain sense now that almost anything goes. There's now no standard whatsoever for determining the legitimacy, much less the accuracy, of these so-called deeper meanings. Using pre-Hebrew pictographs, then, to try and find deeper meaning in the words of the Bible— seeks a sense that exceeds all common sense. It utterly destroys the plain, simple reading of God's Word. So those are a couple of examples of how we read our own ideas into the text and set the plain sense aside in the name of finding the deeper or hidden meaning of Scripture. We also often deny the plain sense of Scripture simply out of disagreement with it. This is often tied to what we talked about in a previous episode about spiritualization, emotionalization, and rationalization. But regardless of what motivates us, we seek to change the meaning of what we're reading because we don't like what it says and think it ought to say something different. And we do it 
by seeking another sense. So let's look now at some examples from Scripture that some deliberately misconstrue because they take issue with the plain sense of the text. Let's start with a familiar one, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, which refers to the six days of creation. For in six days Adonai had made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. This, of course, is Moses' summary of Genesis chapter 1, which lists the events of the six days of creation that go from the creation of the universe, the earth, the land, the seas, and eventually to human beings. Now, if you're of the mind that all that creating took millions or billions of years, then you have a problem, because the text plainly says that it all took six days. What you would say then is that here, day doesn't actually mean day, but long ages that correspond to evolutionary ages of the earth. And you'd be right in asserting that the word day in the Bible doesn't always mean an ordinary 24-hour day or daytime. That's true. But that's not the plain meaning of Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. The plain sense of the verse is that Adonai made everything in six ordinary days. That's how it's written, and that's how we naturally understand it. Now, notice, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just pointing out the obvious, that the plain sense is plain, even if we might disagree with it. But not only is this the plain reading of the verse, the context bears it out because Moses is making this statement about creation as support for the establishment of the work week and the day of rest on the seventh. Two verses earlier, he says, six days you will labor and must do all your work. The plain sense is that six days in verse nine means the same thing as six days, two verses later. The alternative would be, since God made everything in six long ages of the earth, the work week will now be six days. But what does one thing have to do with the other? What do long ages have to do with ordinary days? Why would that be the template for our work week? Do you see how we're now having to really get our wheels turning to try to justify what we're saying? The fact is, there's nothing here or anywhere else in Scripture that indicates we should be seeking another sense regarding the days of creation. And we can talk about a day being as a thousand years some other time. But the reality is, the only thing that causes us to doubt that day means day is the belief that the universe wasn't created the way the Bible plainly says it was. And finally, let's revisit one last passage that is another great example of the concept of the plain sense of Scripture. Let's look again at Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 and 46, and the question of eternal punishment. Again, in this passage, Yeshua is explaining what will happen to the unrighteous when he's sitting on his throne in all his glory, and he will say, go away from me to the age-enduring fire that has been prepared for the accuser and his messengers, and therefore these will go away to punishment age-enduring. So the text says that the unrighteous will suffer age-enduring or eternal fire and punishment. That's the plain sense of the text. But back in 2011, a guy named Rob Bell started making some pretty big waves with his book, Love Wins, because he maintained that eternal punishment wasn't all that eternal or all that punishing. Pointing to the Greek text underlying the passage in Matthew, Bell says that the word we translate as age-enduring or eternal 
can have several meanings. And the word we translate as punishment is actually a word from horticulture that refers to pruning or trimming branches so that a plant can flourish. And we're the branches, right? Now, setting aside the fact that Bell had to go to the root of this Greek word and not the actual word itself to find that definition, which is another major Bible interpretation error, which I'll get to in a later teaching, this was his conclusion about the phrase eternal punishment. Depending on how you translate those Greek words, then, the phrase can mean a period of pruning or a time of trimming or an intense experience of correction. And he's totally right. Depending on how you translate it, you can definitely come up with something like that. But on the other hand, if you don't translate it completely wrong, ignoring the plain sense of the text, it means eternal punishment. And once again, we see the context bear this out. Are we supposed to believe that the accuser and his messengers are just headed for a time or period of fire? And there's also the second half of verse 46, which says, but the righteous will go on to life, age, enduring. Does this mean that the righteous will just have an intense experience of life, that we won't live forever with Yeshua? Either it's eternal punishment and eternal life, or temporary punishment and temporary life. It has to be one or the other. We can't translate the same word here two different ways. And once again, the face value reading of the passage is plainly understood. We can only arrive at a different conclusion if we're reading our own thoughts into the text. When we consider all these examples, what we see is the plain sense of the text being treated as an obstacle to finding a different, more desirable meaning, a meaning either unknown or preconceived. For whatever reason, the plain sense is not providing for us what we think we need, and so we either seek new information or insert our own depending on our desired outcome. The permission we give ourselves to do this comes from the way we perceive the Bible and the true authority we assign to it. No matter what lip service we may pay to its perfection, completion, and divine authorship, if we try to make our own paths through its glorious fields, we undermine what we claim to believe. We can try blaming the translators for supposedly getting things wrong or our alleged ignorance of ancient and mystical ways of understanding the word, but when we try to change or add to what the scriptures say, what we're really saying is that what's plainly written needs to be ignored and another sense of the word sought. While all truth is spiritually discerned, we can't abandon simple logic, critical thinking, normal rules of language, and common sense when it comes to reading the book. Because if we eradicate the plain sense, then all we're left with is nonsense and the ability to twist God's word into any sense we wish. The Bible is an immeasurably awesome book that reveals an immeasurably awesome God. But when we look for meaning beyond what it plainly says, we destroy and do violence to his perfect word. When we read the Bible, we need to take everything it says first at face value, that unless the immediate context clearly indicates otherwise, we should read every text plainly as written. Though the deep truths of Scripture can sometimes be difficult to understand, a plain reading of the text is usually all we need. Don't read your own ideas or the ideas of others into anything the Scriptures say. 
accept God's word as perfect, just the way it is. And when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.